Thinking Basketball Podcast. My name is Ben. Welcome back. Today, we are going to discuss the most valuable players, really the the best players, I think is a better way to describe it, the best players in the NBA Finals going back to 2001. As you all know, Finals MVPs have been given out for decades, going back to, I think, 69 was the first one. Jerry West got it in a losing effort in Game 7. And that's it. There's no playoff MVP. There's no formal MVPs for winning the conference championship or anything like that. And as someone who is a an advocate of the playoff MVP, you know, we see it in hockey historically. Soccer is how you go to the World Cup. You don't have to just talk about the guy who was the MVP of the final game or the final two games or something. You can look at a larger totality of the tournament. And I've always been, well, I don't know about always, but recently for many years, I've been much more on board with the idea of the playoff MVP because I've always been someone who doesn't really care too much about the finals MVP. It's never done too much for me. But as the economics of the sport have exploded in the 80s through the 90s, and now it's global, there's a cottage industry analyzing all these series, all these games, just just like this very podcast, this platform, if you will. And I think what's happened over the years is that best story, that finals MVP type story, the hero of the hour, has been heavily, heavily conflated with best player. And that's where people get a little uncomfortable with it. That's where it creates problems for people because it's it's brought up in the sense of like, oh, this guy won finals MVP, must have been the best player in the series. And that's just not always the case, as we'll discuss today. We're going to try to go back through 2001. We could, we could go back further in time, but uh, it's really easy to get access to quality playoff play-by-play data back through 2001. And there's a kind of backpicks box score, if you will, that occasionally I do series by series analysis on. I've actually done it for Patreon subscribers, patreon.com slash thinking basketball for the last few NBA finals. And I, I always like getting into that level of granularity because as we'll see today, there there's a challenge evaluating, just a philosophical challenge evaluating a single game or a single playoff series. Do you make it completely results oriented? Do you say, oh, this guy who shot seven of eight from the field absolutely had a better game than the guy who shot one of 10 because of the, you know, the, the value add from converting on those shots in a way that most people don't expect? I mean, it's not an obvious thing to answer. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in a second. But first, let's talk about uh, sort of the main methods. I'm going to use that backpicks box model, the the BPM that I use and provide to Patreon subscribers, because that's been pretty well tested as a small sample size. You know, after a couple hundred minutes, if we have a six or seven game series, we can feel a little bit more comfortable that our box score data isn't just a bunch of noise. Um, and also, it's pretty good at honing in on offensive stuff, specifically playmaking, passing, and balancing those factors with scoring and even other areas like spacing or kind of off-ball factors, offensive rebounding, stuff like that within a team context. So, of course, as a tool, 
Uh, it still has blind spots, but it's pretty good at summarizing offensive performance for a ton of players and doing that without a large sample. Now, I also want a plus minus kind of tool. And in smaller samples, this is what augmented plus minus is designed for. Um, the sample is still going to be small enough that it's noisy, but at least we're trying to get some kind of guess at what an um, adjusted plus minus like number would look like based on the plus minus signal we're seeing from a player within a series. So the way this is set up, it's basically saying, if we were to look at plus minus data for a team, what is the likely outcome based on what we know about the team's value indicators normally throughout the season and about the player's performance and his teammates' performance in plus minus that we see in this series? Value is contextual, right? Different players on different teams in different circumstances provide different value. But it's also related to ability in that it takes great ability to generate great value and someone without great ability is unlikely to look like they're generating great value. Hopefully that makes sense because what I'm really building to, and we'll go through the, the 21 series in a second and talk about this in some instances, what I'm really building to is that there's kind of a prior here. There's you're, you're, you're building in uh, as a general idea, sort of past information. How good does this player look in the box score and how valuable has he been in general to his team? And those pieces of information are going to help inform us uh, about what we're seeing in this super small sample in this series. Now, I personally want prior information because I think that, that latent value is a huge, huge part of NBA playoff basketball. And again, I, I don't expect everyone philosophically to be on board with me, but I like having a perspective that thinks about this kind of latent value. So let me elaborate on this. Think about a highly variable action, like shooting. You know, some games are going to be two for 10, some games are going to be eight for 10. There are probably a few other areas here we can think of, like defensive field goals against is an interesting one. Uh, but in general, let's just focus on shooting. If we took a results-oriented approach, as I said earlier, we might end up saying a guy who shot two for 10 in this game played terribly, and a guy who shot six for 10 in the same circumstance played great. And we might say that because those misses represent eight pure points on the scoreboard, which is huge, assuming they're all two-point jumpers or whatever. And that's true. That can be huge. Although I would suggest when we get that results-oriented, we're probably talking something more like the best games add, and I'm going to make up a number based on some empirical research that I've done, but this is a non-scientific warning. Like I'm just pulling this number kind of out of my head right now. The best games may be worth like 25 points, something like that. The point is that the order of magnitude is different when you're just focusing on results, comparing a white hot game to a seasonal average. 1981, Cedric Maxwell wins the finals MVP. And I think we need to think of this kind of stuff as the Cedric Maxwell corollary. Because Maxwell wins MVP, plays well in the series, uh, has, a, has a good 
kind of fifth game to help put the Celtics up. It was a weird series because it was a six-game series, but Houston won a couple close games. The Celtics had a ton of blowouts. They won with a huge margin of victory. They were a significantly better team all year. And Maxwell gets the finals MVP for two reasons. One, Bird didn't shoot particularly well. 46% true shooting in the series compared to Maxwell's 61%. And two, he's the leading scorer. He scores 18 points a game. Bird scores 15 points a game. And back then, 18 points, nine rebounds, high field goal percentage. People look at that, and that's impressive. And Bird, quote-unquote, only 15 points a game. Their full stat lines now are going to start to create a slightly different story. Maxwell is 18-9 and 2.8 assists, but 3.2 turnovers. Maxwell also had almost six offensive rebounds a game in the series, which suggests a ton of putbacks, and putbacks are often carved out by guys upstream drawing attention and missing a difficult shot, guys like Larry Bird. Bird averaged 15 points a game, 15 rebounds a game, seven assists a game, and the exact same number of turnovers as Maxwell. And if you go back and watch that series, or at least what's available publicly on YouTube with that series, you will notice things just even in the highlights, just like pull up the highlights. And you'll notice Bird doing stuff like drawing extra attention in transition so Maxwell gets an easy layup, Um, Bird doing something drawing two defenders and then missing or passing to Maxwell where he gets, you know, could be credited as an offensive rebound, um, things like that. Houston had their better wing defender, their better kind of forward, big forward defender, Robert Reed, not only guarding Bird, but face guarding him in the paint. So, so you know, you'll see stuff like Maxwell drives by his man. His man is a slow-footed Billy Paltz, who's really shouldn't be guarding a player like Maxwell, but that's what happens when you work your way down from we're going to put our best defender on Bird, and then we don't care where the other chips fall because those are the sacrifices we're willing to make to stop Bird. So this one play in particular that stands out to me is Maxwell drives right by Billy Paltz like a traffic cone, and Robert Reed doesn't provide any help because he's literally face guarding Larry Bird off the ball because the Rockets are tilted towards stopping Larry Bird. So in my book, in my model, Bird is the MVP of that series, despite Maxwell being the one that benefited from it. So latent factors are going to be things like off-ball gravity, spacing, on defense, rim deterrence, basically anything that involves massive game planning from the other team. That's what I'm thinking of. So Right away, you can see how a star player receiving a double team is, in a sense, a latent factor. Because sometimes different things will happen. Shots will be made. Shots won't be made. Because this changes shooting numbers. Go back to that example of the 2 for 10 guy versus the 6 for 10 guy or whatever. If the star player goes 2 for 10 with those double teams in a game, and his role player goes six for 10 on passes that he's creating from those double teams, then what we often do in a results-oriented world is we say the guy who was six for 10 played a much better game than the guy who was two for 10. But if you take the star player off the court, the role player wouldn't go six for 10 because the role player wouldn't even have those open shots. And the role player 
has a hard time generating his open shots. He's dependent on another player. And so this latent factor, in this case, it could be double teams. It could be the way the defense is bent, scheming toward players, uh, you know, st- staying at home in gaps, spacing, off-ball gravity. Uh, you know, sh- you need to put a body on Shaq so you're less likely to help coming down the lane. All of these kinds of things influence the results, which is why I think it's so important to account for them when we judge basketball in a small sample. Over the large sample, these are the things, these are the signals we're picking up. This is what we care about measuring when we think of value. But in a small sample, what I've noticed is those things get drowned out by, oh, who made the most shots? What's the result of this play? It kind of reminds me of uh, episode three or four in this podcast, which is still to me one of the more important ones, um, just philosophically, that I've recorded on the tyranny of the quantifiable. This idea that in a small sample, because all we have is shooting numbers and maybe things like assists or turnovers, we hone in on them. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Okay, so if we take box plus minus in a single series, in this case all the finals going back to 2001, and we take augmented plus minus... And they have all the issues and kind of philosophical things we just discussed. Who comes out as the best player in each of these series in these models? And can we kind of go from there? So in 2001, the best player by BPM is Shaquille O'Neal. And the best player by Augmented Plus Minus is Shaquille O'Neal. And Shaquille O'Neal did, in fact, win finals MVP. Same thing in 2002. Same thing in 2003 with Tim Duncan across the board. So... Let's look at the instances where it wasn't a kind of clean sweep across the board like that. The first disagreement in the models is in 2004. And in 2004, Chauncey Billups wins the MVP and by box plus minus thinks he is the best player in that series. But augmented plus minus, when you take into account plus minus data and some of that prior information that we talked about, it thinks Ben Wallace was the best player in the series. So the box score wins out somewhat predictably. The guy who looked better in the box score and and hit the jumpers and scored the points versus sort of the defensive player. Wallace, by the way, did well in the box plus minus model as well. He was plus 4.8. Well, Billups was ahead at plus 6.4. But then Wallace wins out in augmented plus minus, finishing slightly ahead of Chauncey. And I think, you know, this is expected. It's hard for any box score to capture something like Detroit's defensive rating being 91 when Ben Wallace was on the court. They were plus 18 in that series with Wallace on the floor and in the 40 minutes without him, minus 26 points per 100. All these are going to be super small samples, right? And a lot of the times it's just going to be a ton of noise. But this is where adding that likelihood of like, well, how much noise is this really based on what we've seen uh, in prior games for this team? That's where that helps to kind of make that more informed. By the way, 
Billups had a plus 17% true shooting percentage in that series, scored 23 points per 75. And I think that was probably too sexy for the voters at the time to pass up. But this series was dominated, absolutely dominated uh, by the Pistons on defense. They held the Lakers almost 13 points below their regular season offensive efficiency. And I thought Wallace was basically the centerpiece of that from the get-go in the series. So that would probably be a change for me. 2004, I think if I'm trying to get the sort of quote-unquote best player in the series, it's not a big gap, but I would lean toward Wallace if I had to pick. A couple more instances where the box score disagrees with the kind of non-box score, scoreboard plus-minus, in this case, augmented plus-minus model. 2016. 2016. Yeah, you heard me right. Draymond Green, who, remember, only played six games because of that suspension, so he went three in the series. He had an enormous series, and LeBron James was the box score MVP of that series. Draymond was plus 7.8 in augmented plus minus, which is the third best finals or conference finals on record since 2001 using this metric. Uh, Golden State, incidentally, was plus 5.3 with him on the floor. The Cavs were plus 3.9 with LeBron on the floor. That's all per 100. And LeBron himself had an all-time level series in both augmented plus minus and box plus minus his scoring numbers for the series 28 points per 75 on plus 4% relative true shooting that's you know 4% better than what the warriors gave up during the season he created a ton of shots but draymond himself a scoring positive season 16 uh series excuse me 16 points per 75 plus 9% efficiency shot 38% from three. The defense was phenomenal. Uh, he had some great passing. Real, really interesting to see that name actually eclipse a great series, which, you know, both of these metrics uh, and models consider LeBron series fantastic. So yeah, it's not a series I would change the results from, but it is a series where these two models, kind of the box and non-box model, disagree. Another of them is the next year between the exact same teams in 2017 Durant won the MVP Durant was considered the box score in in BPM he was uh, the best player in the series in augmented plus minus he was third finishing behind LeBron and his own teammate Steph Curry now this was another very good series from the MVP, the Warriors offensive rating with Kevin Durant on the floor in the 2017 finals was 127, which is almost as good as their offensive rating with Steph Curry on the floor of 129. Um, I thought Curry clearly had a better passing series. He created more offense, but he ended up with a slightly weaker box plus minus. These are both God tier numbers, plus 10.7 for Durant and plus 8.4 for Curry. And that's because Durant's actual shot making, the, the again, the results-oriented perspective, was absurd. 32 points per 75 on plus 15% true shooting efficiency. 
that is the fourth best box score series in the finals or conference finals since 2001. So it's a monster series from KD. But I do think Curry had way more of a claim to this MVP than people realize based on latent factors outside of Durant's just ridiculous shooting uh, in the series. But that shooting was aided at times, clearly, and I've tweeted about this. There's clips um, in videos about this, clearly aided by Curry's latent value that he gets, that he provides with his gravity and defensive attention. 2019, speaking of Curry, is another series where I think that's um, even more relevant. I talked about this when I broke down this series a couple years ago for Patreons. The winner of that finals MVP was Kawhi Leonard, and BPM thinks he was the best player in the series. So this is another series where a box score winner disagrees with the augmented plus minus winner. Interestingly, Kawhi was fifth in augmented plus minus in this series because Lowry and Siakam powered Toronto in the plus minus department and themselves had huge moments in the series and were excellent defensively and in certain games uh, provided a ton of offensive firepower. So Kawhi put up solid scoring numbers in this one, 26 points per 75 plus 6% efficiency. Curry was 27 points per 75 and plus 6% efficiency. But interestingly, in a small sample, when you take a ton of heaves, which Curry did, you know, like not worrying about your stats and you keep trying to make half-court shots, it actually dents, dents your scoring numbers a little bit more than it would throughout the season. And that was the case with Curry. And I think it was difficult at the time for the box score, at least my model, the way it's set up, without any tracking data or anything like that, I think it was difficult to capture Steph's shot creation. For instance, he had a lot of screening gravity in certain games. You have the box in one game. So for me, this is actually mm, fairly clearly a better series from Steph. than from Kawhi also didn't love Leonard's defense in the series. And that stuff can come out in plus minus sometimes. Okay, so those are the series where BPM disagreed with augmented plus minus and BPM won out. What about the series where the augmented plus minus winner won out when there was a disagreement between these two models? The first one's 2008. And this might come as a surprise to some people. In 2008, Ray Allen just barely by literally like a single three-pointer made edged out Paul Pierce as the best player in BPM in this series. The augmented plus minus winner, the best player according to that approach, was Pierce himself. So Pierce was extremely close to winning out in both categories here. Allen ended up with a plus 6.7 BPM and Pierce ended up with a plus 6.5 BPM. Now, where's Kevin Garnett? Kevin Garnett, I've talked a lot about in this run in 2008, clearly being the best Celtic for me throughout the year and in the playoffs. A lot of people don't realize he was their leading scorer in the playoffs. His defense was unreal. He was slightly behind both of these players. He was plus five in the box plus minus model and not too far behind at plus 4.7 in the augmented plus minus model. But his claim here would really have to be heavily, heavily about defense and defense that just wasn't picked up to 
push him past either of those teammates in these two approaches because he did not have a strong offensive series. He finished at 19 points per 75 on minus 6% in the scoring column with only real small levels of, of shot creation. Where on the other hand, Paul Pierce stepped it up to 26 per 70, excuse me, 22 per 75 on plus 6%. He led the Celtics really as a primary playmaker. He defended Kobe Bryant very well in key stretches. Although again, as I've demonstrated uh, in certain videos and film before, having Kevin Garnett behind him and and Kevin Garnett's value and some of those pick and roll actions and some of those reads helped tremendously. But all told, that was close to a unanimous, both models taking Paul Pierce, and he got that in real life. So it's hard to quibble uh, too much with the MVP going to Pierce in that series. Here's another interesting one. 2011. In 2011, Dwayne Wade is the box plus minus best player in this series. Dirk Nowitzki, the actual MVP, is the augmented plus minus winner in this series. Now, Wade smokes everyone in the BPM model. He's plus 7.6, way out in front of anyone else. LeBron is plus 5.2. He's the next best player in Miami. Uh, Tyson Chandler was plus 4.7. Dirk was only down at plus 3.5 because Dirk didn't actually have a very good shooting series. 27 points per 75 on plus 1% efficiency. And so much of Dirk's game is powered by that scoring efficiency. Of Of course, Dirk has latent value with his spacing and defenses giving him attention as well. And that's probably why he wins out in augmented plus minus. Although to be fair, Wade's augmented plus minus was right behind him. Wade was plus 4.5 points per game in that stat. And Dirk was plus 5.1 in that game. Wade, by the way, in that series, 28 points per 75 on plus 8% relative true shooting. And he led the series in estimated shot creation, just carving up the Mavs D at times. Did did Dallas have defensive schemes that were slanted toward LeBron in place of Wade? I think so. And even though it's tricky to give the MVP to a losing player, that was an incredibly close series. The whole series uh, constantly was close games. I think if I had a vote, certainly at the time, and I think analyzing it in retrospect, I think I would change it to Wade. Just looking at who the best player in the series was. It's tricky Because I think Dirk has a lot of value that isn't captured here. And him missing a couple extra shots isn't a huge deal. And on the flip side, LeBron is the one who has more latent value than Wade. But I think I'm most comfortable saying Wade was the best player in that series. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now, there are also three series where the box plus minus MVP of the series and the augmented plus minus MVP of the series did not win. Neither one of those players won the actual series MVP. I think these are probably going to be the most fun ones to kind of revisit. First, let's go to 2005. In 2005, Tim Duncan struggled a lot in that series. Averaged 22 points per 75 on minus 3% shooting. Was basically in a straight jacket that was comfortably fitted fitted for him by the Wallaces. Uh, Duncan ended up with the seventh best BPM in the series. And he went on to win finals MVP. If you look at these two models, the best player by box plus minus in the series was Rashid Wallace for the Pistons. And for the Spurs, the best player by augmented plus minus was Manu Ginobili. Ginobili destroys Duncan in the scoring compartment on offense. 23 points per 75 plus 11% efficiency. He created way more offense, at least according to the kind of box stats that we have. And just generally had a hugely positive effect the whole series. The Spurs were actually outscored with Tim Duncan on the floor during that very close seven-game series, they had a 104 offensive rating and a 107 defensive rating with Duncan on the court, but it flips the other way. In, in the minutes, Ginobili's on the court, the Spurs are 105 on offense and all the way down to 102 on defense. Just on their side of the ball, staying with San Antonio, did Duncan, was he someone who, by drawing extra defensive attention, that kind of schematic gravity helped Ginobili? Um, maybe to a degree, I think that's possible in that series. Um, I don't think it's huge, but I think it's a, a small factor. But the trickier thing there, especially just on the box score side of things, is that I think Manu Ginobili in 2005 is a better offensive player than Tim Duncan. So it's not the kind of thing where you go face this Spurs team and you say, oh my God, we have to cut off the head of the snake. We have to do everything to take away Duncan. Like the difference between Larry Bird and Cedric Maxwell in 1981 is not the difference between Duncan and Manu Ginobili. And in fact, I think it's easier to argue Manu Ginobili at that point in time is a better offensive player than Tim Duncan and, and kind of is more important creating offense for the Spurs when they're both out there. Rashid had a great series in the box score, plus 7.9. He out you know, the Pistons outscored the Spurs by eight points per one hundred when Rashid was on the court. He was plus twenty four in on off in the series. Had a really nice series. Was a really important player in that series for the Pistons, and they were you know a coin flip away from winning that. And who knows who would have been given Finals MVP? For me, I think if I had to pick. It's close because of, obviously, Duncan's huge defensive presence. I think I might switch it to Ginobili. 
Two years later in 2007, there's another disagreement. I think this is the lowest hanging fruit. The best box plus minus uh, model player in the series was Manu Ginobili. In augmented plus minus, it was Tim Duncan. And of course, Tony Parker ended up being selected MVP of that series. I mean, it's only a four-game series, and, and Parker had a big scoring game at the end, and I think that's what did it. But Manu was first in box plus minus. He was second in augmented plus minus. Duncan was second in box plus minus and first in augmented plus minus. Parker was in the top four in the series. He averaged 28 points per 75 on plus 8%. He shot 73% on nearly nine rim attempts per 75%. He just got to the rack relentlessly. But I think clearly, both in rewatching the series and statistically, Ginobili and Duncan were better. I mean, we know it's noisy, but it's kind of a funny stat. In a four-game sweep, the Spurs were better with Parker on the bench. They had a 105 offensive rating with him on the court and a 101 defensive rating. So they were about plus four, but their offense was pedestrian when Tony was on. Their defense strangled Cleveland in that series. Uh, Of course, Duncan led that defense. When Duncan was on the court, the Spurs defensive rating in the 2007 finals was 97. Those numbers were almost as good as Ginobili's numbers. The Spurs gave up 90 points per 100 with Manu Ginobili on the court, and they had a 111 offensive rating. They just destroyed the Cavs when Manu came in in the game. Manu averaged 25 points per 75, plus 4% relative true shooting. So I think this is a great example of whipping up a little narrative for a guy who leads the team in scoring and points per game because I think he was the third best guy in his own team in this series. I... Either one of the other two, I think, would have been a better choice for best player in the series. Last one's 2015, the one you've all been waiting for. I know. I've had many requests about just doing a full video, like an entire series on the 2015 finals, game by game. It's one of the silliest MVP awards, I think, in league history. And I'm a huge Andre Iguodala fan, just in terms of how good his career was and how how good he was defensively. How important that signing was, how critical he was to the Hamptons 5, the the death lineup, the whole thing. But he was fifth in augmented plus minus in the series and second in box plus minus. And it was a good series for him, but this has to go back to latent impact. On offense, Andre averaged 17 per 75 plus 5% efficiency with not much offensive shot creation for his teammates, not much gravity, not a spacer. He's not Clay Thompson running around. And his teammate, Steph Curry, who the Cavs built the entire thing around, averaged 24 points per 75, plus 5% efficiency with a ton of shot creation, both off and on the ball. And the logic behind... Iguodala winning the MVP seemed to be he slowed down LeBron, which has always been a bit strange to me because LeBron is the guy who you're arguing was the best player in the series. Like to me, it's either LeBron or Curry. We can throw Draymond Green in there in a second, but the Cavs could do nothing with LeBron on the bench. LeBron's on off in this series. Again, small sample. So we're not saying that this is like a great measurement or reflective of something. 
But sometimes when you watch a series and the team falls apart when the guy goes to the bench, this stat actually in a small space like this just like reflects how much they struggled. And if they played in a longer stretch, it wouldn't be this bad. But they were minus 41 with LeBron on the bench. He has a 37, a plus 37 on off. Um, He averaged 30 points per 75 in the series, actually almost 31. His efficiency was minus 4%, which isn't very good. But of course, watching the series contextually, you know some of that is just forcing shots, grinding, trying to get anything he can, waiting for double teams. You know, he created a ton of offense for other guys. Timothy Moskov having games that are memorable in that series. Timothy Moskov in the, in the series, 20 points per 75 on 10%, plus 10% true shooting. That's from LeBron. So I've never kind of understood even the rationale uh, other than just a tip of the cap to a great underrated player in Iguodala. Steph Curry, the guy who wins the augmented plus minus best player in this series, he was plus 6.6, which is quite a big number. Positive impact across the board in the plus minus stats. I think it has to go to one of those two guys. And if there were a third guy, another guy on the Warriors, I would I would give it to Green over Iguodala. Green has a better box score series. He has a better uh, augmented plus minus series by far. I think just structurally and schematically, Draymond on the back line, overloading, playing reads, the success of the small lineup with Draymond powering things the way he did. Like that, that even makes more sense to me than Iguodala. So there you have it. The six MVPs, if I were looking at best player in the series, most outstanding player in the series, and looking at it through that lens, from the last two decades, those six changes would be 2004, I'd probably vote for Rasheed Wallace over Chauncey Billups. It's a, excuse me, Ben Wallace over Chauncey Billups. It's a minor gap. 2005, same thing. I think I would lean Manu Ginobili over Tim Duncan. Um, 2007, either Manu Ginobili or Tim Duncan can go over Tony Parker. Take your pick. I actually think that's a pretty clear gap. Like that's a that's a medium to large gap to me when looking at who the best player in that series was. 2011, and eh, maybe not a huge gap, but I think again I would vote Wade over Dirk if I was just talking about the best player. 2015, I would go Steph Curry. You could you could possibly go LeBron James there. And then 2019, again, best player in that series to me. Same kind of thoughts I had at the time going deep on it in 2019. Steph Curry uh, over Kawhi Leonard. If you're interested in these series-by-series stats with the proprietary metrics on backpicks that Patreon subscribers get, head over to patreon.com slash thinkingbasketball. There will be a post or a page that has series-by-series stats broken out like this with, you know, how often they shot at the rim, um, their, their offensive creation, their playmaking value in a series, their scoring numbers, their plus-minus numbers, the box plus-minus model, the augmented plus-minus model. Uh, I've got them all going back to 2001, every playoff series. Anyway, that is it for this one. As always, I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. I hope you've enjoyed your off-season and your summer so far. I guess we're now into 
into fall in the Northern Hemisphere. If you're in the Southern Hemisphere, I hope you're enjoying your spring. Uh, (laughs) And of course, wherever you are listening, especially in the Southern Hemisphere, I hope you are having a great day. (laughs) 